Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Jesus, I love you. Lord, we love you. We glorify you. We magnify you in this place. We love you, Jesus. We magnify you, Lord. Hallelujah. Let him move in your life. Just let him move right now. Just let him touch you right now. Just take this time. We're going to be deliberate to take this time right now. Father, we love you. We praise you, God. We glorify you. Lord, move among your people, God. Minister, God, to the need that's in this place. Minister, God. Heal, God. Deliver, set free. Jesus, we love you. We praise you, God. Just praise Him, church. Just worship Him right now. Just love on Him. Tell Him how much you love Him. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We praise you, God. We glorify you. You alone, oh God, are worthy. You alone are worthy. There's none like you in all the earth, oh God. We love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. be thinking, why would you do something like that? Because everything that we do should be deliberate. It should be intentional. And we need to intentionally set time aside for our Father to move in our lives. Can you say amen? It's important. Because if church is just coming to mark time, we can mark time a lot better ways than this. But this is coming together as a family as people that love God, that love one another, to come into his presence and to allow him to do what he does. Can you say amen? Well, let me just say from my um, heart to you, those that worked, those that came out to our outreach uh, last weekend, it was such a powerful, 
time. It was such a great success, and we do really appreciate everybody that labored and uh, helped us to make that a great success. We will be doing more of those, and we want to make sure everybody knows that we're going to be doing that in various uh, parks and neighborhoods throughout the city because we are dedicated to seeing this city saved. Can you say amen? We want to see God move. Um, I don't believe this building's big enough to hold what God will do. Amen. I've, I already got some friends talking to me about another building. Amen. You go, oh, what's that? Yeah, don't, don't put that out there. This is, so all you on the internet, don't be going, no. It's, uh, uh, we're right here for right now, but you know what? We're believing big. It's no sense believing what we can do. We need to believe what he can do. Amen. Because if we believe for what we can do, well, we'll probably do it. But if we believe for what he can do, guess what? He will probably do it. And so let's just believe big, amen? Sometimes I have to remind myself of that because uh, I, like, I like hiding out where it's safe. But uh, I'm, I'm learning to, to stretch out. I'm learning to get out of the boat. Um, I've, I've walked a little ways. I've sunk a couple times, but uh, Jesus has never failed me. He's always been there to pick me up. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to uh, begin uh, uh, just a mini-series, if we can call it that. It's only going to be two sermons long, unless, of course, God changes that, but he, he can. But at this point, that's what it's going to be. And I want to minister something that uh, really is pretty significant, and it's something that God is really uh, uh, causing to rest upon my life. Let me ask this question. Let me just, can we, can we talk? Can we just get honest real yeah. quick? How many here have ever been tired? Raise your hand. Now, those of you that didn't raise your hand, could you see me afterwards? Because I either know, need to know what you're doing or what you're using to not be tired. But I think all of us have come into a place in life where we've gotten tired. We've gotten physically tired. We've gotten mentally tired, emotionally tired, spiritually tired, all across the board. You can get tired and sometimes in that, what we want more than anything is we want just to rest. We want to rest. Now, let me tell you something. Getting tired is easy. Finding rest is a lot more difficult. How many know what I'm talking about? And I believe the reason for finding rest is so much a challenge to human nature and to our lives is because at the very core of rest is a thing called trust. He said, well, what do you mean by that? Well, let me see if I can maybe help you understand it. Imagine <clears throat> that you are in a car going down I-40 at 80 miles an hour, because you always go five miles over, with your teenager behind the wheel. Your 17-year-old son has guaranteed to get you from point A to point B. And then your 17-year-old son says to you, Dad or mom, whichever is appropriate, go ahead, take it easy. Just rest. <laughs> Let me ask you, is there any rest in that scenario? No. In fact, if it's me, I would be more at rest if I was driving. Yes. Amen. I, I have ridden with my children. I have a 30-year-old son, which is, you know, his 30-year-old birthday was harder on me than him. It's like... No way, you're 29 and staying there. Anyway, um, I have had hard times, you know, it, I've been with my kids, and 
just what we're, we're, we went to Vegas uh, a week or so ago with Jason and, and Courtney. We went up there and Jason was driving and I was just like a ball of nerves the whole time. It's like, and I'm, I'm realizing I'm having these flashbacks to my dad going, slow down, slow down. My dad with me and I'm like, dad, you know, it's 25. The speed limit is 75. I, it's all right. But I'm having these, just these, you know, senior moments here where I'm not resting. Well, let me tell you something. When God gets into the driver's seat of your life and looks at you and says, just rest. Sometimes we find it hard to do that. Now, Jesus comes to us all the time and he says, you know, we know the scripture. He says, all you that are heavy laden, your burden, your heavy laden, come to me, I'll give you rest. This is part of the gospel. This is part of the good news is you can rest. But oftentimes we find it very difficult to rest. And the reason that we find it difficult to rest is because quite honestly, we find it oftentimes very hard to trust. Can you say amen? Amen. Now I want to share a portion of scripture that we've been looking at for a little while. We've off and on, we've never preached on it per and you know, used it as our text, but I want you to pay attention to this text today because I believe that it has something very powerful to say. This is something that the Lord has laid on my heart for the last several months, and it's something that my wife and I often in the evening when we pray together, we, we, we will actually pray this passage of Scripture. And I want you to listen. It's found in Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. Now, in this portion of Scripture, God is getting our attention. And he's telling us, he says, trust me with all of your heart. What can that possibly mean? What he's talking about is that you and I are deliberate, that there is something inside us where we make a decision. We make a decision of our will that says, God, I'm going to trust you. And then he follows it up with, don't lean to your own understanding. In other words, quit trying to figure everything out. We've talked about this before. But see, sometimes in life, we tend to be, because of our human nature, we tend to be control freaks. Any control freaks, raise your hand. No, don't. Don't do that. We're all, to some level, we like to be in control. That's the whole point of the story about your teenage child driving. The reason we can all relate to that is because we've all been there and we've all felt out of control. See, when we feel out of control, it's human nature. There's something hardwired in us to regain control. That's where a lot of dysfunction comes in at is a lot of dysfunction through life as you and I attempting to regain control. But the gospel is a message that says relinquish control and let me, meaning God, be in control. And the only way you can truly have rest, the only way is to have relentless 
trust. In other words, trust that is going to remain, trust that's going to stay consistent, trust that's buried in, dug in, that it's grabbed a hold. And we need that. But the problem is, is sometimes God can be difficult to get. Has anybody had that experience that it's hard to understand God sometimes? It, it's, it's, it's hard to figure out really, God, what, what really are you up to here? See, I wish, my wish would be that God would come down and pre-approve his plans with me. You, you know what I'm saying? I, I wish he would come and say, hey, John, I just want you to know this is what we're going to be up to for the next year or so, and this is what's going to happen. I hope you're okay with it. But God doesn't do that, does he? God is independent. He is on his own, and he is going forward. He doesn't need my approval. He has a plan, and he knows it's going to work out. Now, what he wants is he wants me to engage in that plan. He wants me to cooperate, but it's hard to understand. The Bible says in Isaiah 55, 8, it says his thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. And you know what? He really means that. And the reason that he means that is because his perspective is much larger than ours. He sees a lot further down the road. Can you say amen? He has more information. See, one of the things humanity is committed to is making judgment calls based on very little information. We do it all the time. We, we, you know, Facebook is the, 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 the acid test of that. We make all kinds of judgments based on very little information. We come to conclusions, but the truth is, church, we often do not have all the information. And that's why it is so necessary for you and I to engage in trust because God does have all the information. Can you say amen? See, we have deep encounters with him where he breaks through our lives with power and grace, answering our prayers in ways that are sometimes nothing short of miraculous. And in those times, he wins our trust and our faith goes beyond comprehension. It builds. Our, our faith becomes large. But then there's these seasons that come into our life. They roll in. They're chaotic seasons that roll in like a rogue wave, leaving us shattered and bruised on the beach. It can be a physical diagnosis that threatens our lives, or it can be a, a significant setback in our finances or on our job, or it, or it can be the loss of a significant relationship, whether it's through betrayal or death or some other situation. It can be an unrelenting darkness that will rest upon us, or a spiritual heaviness, or a profound temptation. It can be times of unanswered prayer, and the list can go on and on and on this morning. The point is, in these seasons, an arid wind blows across, a, a wind that we don't understand, or we don't know where it even came from. It, it blows across the spiritual landscape of our lives, leaving us, leaving our soul dry and our spirit cracked and parched. And we cry out to God in our confusion. And even then, he seems silent, but we cry out to him and he seems absent. Have you ever been there? Let me tell you something, you, if you haven't been there, you will go there. 
And I'm not, this is not me preaching um, bad news. I'm, I, I don't want to curse anyone. I just have lived life long enough that I know that there are difficult days. We just got done preaching a whole series on, on victory and on, on being more than an overcomer. And we told you that in that we, 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 we are by identity, we are victorious. It's not, it's not an option, it's our identity. But let me tell you something, in the midst of that context, in the midst of understanding that, there are difficult days. You can't win if there isn't a struggle. Now here's the good news about the Christian. Jesus entered the struggle for us. And he won. Are you hearing me? And what he does is he gives us the victory. But there are times when we don't see the victory. There are times when we don't understand. There are times when the information is limited. The view is short and we feel this weight. There are times when there is a spiritual battle that's taking place and God seems at those times to be very distant. Are you hearing me? See, all of God's people at some time or another, will come into this difficult place. Listen to how David says it. Now, David is a man that has had some incredible encounters with God, supernatural events. He, he writes most of the book of Psalms out of his relationship with the Father, but yet he writes this in Psalm 13, verse 1 and 2. He says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be, enemy be exalted over me? He's questioning. He's in a time, a season of, of difficulty. He's in a place where he can't see very far down the road. He, his feelings are going sideways. He doesn't feel connected. He doesn't feel like God's moving. And so he begins to question. Job felt this. In Job 30 verse 20, he says, I cry to you for help and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. Uh, how many love the honesty of the Bible? I love the honesty of the Bible. Because how many times have we felt this way where nothing makes sense? We can't seem to get a grip on our circumstances. We cry out to God, to our heavenly Father. We sit silent before heaven waiting for an answer. And it's in that period of silence that we become frustrated, vexed, and even angry. We want to look up into heaven and scream out, God, don't you care that I have a problem here? This is nothing new. This is not new to humanity. It's not new to you. The disciples went through this, didn't they? We've told the story many times. We've talked about it. The disciples are in the boat. The storm is raging. The water's coming in. Jesus is asleep. And their statement was, do you not care that we're about to die? Do you not care that our circumstances are going sideways? Do you not care that it's a difficult moment? And Jesus, the Bible says, rises up. And he rebukes the wind and the waves. He takes care of it, but the accusation was leveled at Jesus, wasn't it? Yeah. Where did that come from? 
It came from an inability to trust. It came from an immaturity in their faith. Can you say amen? And it's in these times of silence and difficulty that we feel vulnerable. We feel helpless. We feel empty. And it's right here where we face our greatest temptation, and that's to lean to our own understanding. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take matters into my own hands. It's like, okay, if God, if you're not going to do anything, then I am. (laughs) And then we put our trust. Now we're putting trust in our ability. We put trust in our wisdom. We lean on our strength. And ultimately, we close the door to God's involvement in our lives. Think about it. I'm going to try to draw you a picture. You are dealing with difficult moments. You're dealing with something hard. Jesus is in your front room. Sitting in the chair. A difficult moment comes in. He is aware of it. You are aware of it. You look at him and you say, Jesus, what are we going to do? But he doesn't answer exactly how you want. Or he doesn't answer in the time frame that you want. You become fearful. Fear begins to assault your faith. Words, the devil begins to speak your trust. You're beginning to wonder, can I trust you? And finally, you usher Jesus out of your house. You close the door and go, now I can get busy. Does that even make sense? I would rather be in chaos with Jesus than in victory without him. Because victory without him is temporary. It's hollow. But victory with him is penetrating. It's deep and it's abiding. And I can trust him. Can you say amen? We've all been in these situations. It's hard to understand, and it's even more difficult to admit to. But we can get disappointed with God. Sometimes God does not act or behave in the manner in which we believe he should. We believe, how many, how many know this is true of parents? How many, how many know or have had children where your children didn't think you were behaving as you should. <laughs> See, I think, as a li- when I was little, I thought that all of my desires were my parents' absolute goal in life. Like, all you have to have is a kid for about a week and you'll get the picture. <laughs> Then we find out, oh, oh, wait, my happiness is really not your priority. Now, this is going to seem controversial into all of the people out in cyberspace. Let me say something. Your happiness is not God's priority. Now, does that mean he don't want me happy? Well, of course he does. His, your, his joy is more of a priority. 
He said, why is that? Because joy is something that rises up from the innermost being. Joy is in the kingdom. Joy of the Lord is the strength of our life. Can you say amen? amen? See, happiness, you know the difference between happiness and joy? Happiness is based on a happening. That's why they call it happiness. Something ha happened that was good. So I'm happy. God says, I'm less interested in that. I don't mind you being happy, and I'm glad that you are. But what I want is I want you to have joy in the Holy Ghost. I want you to have this strength of life that flows out of your innermost being that comes in the midst of any situation. I want you to be connected to me. That's God's priority. But sometimes, because we live life over here in happiness, we get a little disappointed with God. And sometimes we begin to question our faith. We can even question our Christianity. They say, oh, that's not possible. It is absolutely possible. Matthew chapter 11, verses 2 and 3 Talks, says this, it says, John the Baptist, who was now in prison, heard about all the things that the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah we've been waiting for, or should we keep looking for another, someone else? What's happening? John the Baptist is in prison. He's about ready to be martyred. He knows that this is not a good moment. He knows that this is a difficult, dark time in his life. And now he's wondering, he goes, you know, I'm the guy that vouched for Jesus. I'm the, I'm the guy that said, this is the man. I'm the one that says, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I'm the one, the one that stood up. I'm the one that's been preaching the good news for him. I've been setting the pace. I've been setting the, the stage for Jesus to come on the world scene. And now, because of that, I'm in prison because I decided to speak truth to a king who was in error because I represented Jesus now I'm about ready to get my head cut off, and is it worth it? He's questioning. He's wondering, did I do the right thing? How many of us, have, let, me, let, me, let me show you how this is. You take God, you feel like God speaks to you about giving, and you give a sum of money, and the moment you give it, you walk to your car, and you get what we call buyer's remorse. Man, I shouldn't have done that. What was I thinking? That's hell. That's hell making you question. Or maybe you're at work and you decided you had a moment to where you could speak to somebody and share the gospel. And then when you get done, you, you think, oh man, now they're all gonna think I'm just goofy, I'm a fool. That's that same thing. And what it boils down to is, will we trust him? Is he worth this? See, in difficult times when things aren't working out, when things stop making sense, we begin to question and with no immediate answer, and when we, or if we don't get the answer that we want, or, or, or things don't work out the way they want, disappointment begins to set in. We never really want to admit it, but disappointment with God is a very real part of Christianity. But listen, if you get anything, get this. Christianity, Christian maturity, is best demonstrated by how we manage the disappointments in life, not how easy life has become. 
See, the church by and large, see, we have such wrong measuring sticks. We look at churches that are highly successful. They've got all the glitz and glamour and the, all the stuff, and I'm not against it. We got a little bit here. We call this bling. It's, what this is is bait. There's nothing, there's absolutely zero spiritual in it. It's bait. There's nothing more spiritual in it than an anchovy if you're going striper fishing. How many know what I'm talking about? That's, it's bait. This does not make the church. What makes the church is an encounter with the Holy Spirit, with a living God becoming real, people giving their hearts to Jesus. That's what it is. This is just evangelism. This is bait. Are you hearing what I'm saying? But oftentimes what we do is we'll look at churches and, or, uh, and it can be anything. It may, maybe, it's, maybe this isn't your thing. Maybe a Hammond B3 organ is your thing with a great big hymnal. It's bait. Sometimes I forget the crowd I'm talking to. It's bait. It's all, all it is. There's nothing, there, you know, when the Hammond, whoever he was that made the organ, he didn't pray over it. He didn't make it special. It's, it's mass produced. But somehow we go, organ music is more special than guitar music or, or, or metal pulpits are more special than wooden ones. Or, do you get it? They, it's not. What we do is we've got to trust that God's involved. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so we measure things based on a lot of faults. So what we do is we go, if you've got a lot of success, if you've got a lot of people, if you're a great preacher, or if you're really smart, then you must be successful. Let me tell you something about the disciples. The Bible says that they were men that were unlearned and uneducated. But the, but the doctors of the day, the, the Pharisees, they saw them and they said, one thing we notice about them, they had been with Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now listen to me today. The problem is, is what we've got to do is come back to this place where we begin to manage our disappointments, not the ease, not all the trappings. We've got to come back where when we go through difficult days, it's still okay. When we have a difficult, how many have had a difficult day? Don't raise your hand. I've had difficult days. I've gotten mad. I know that's hard for you to believe. I've gotten mad. I've chewed people out. My friend Derman, the reason I'm over on this side is my friend Derman felt the bite one day. I was having a, quite a pressured day. And he decided that, what he doesn't know, he decided that he, want, he wanted my attention. And so he came in, and, and I think it was Valerie. Is Valerie here? She might not be here. She texts and says, Derman really wants to see you. It's like, wow. And I'm in Birkin and I'm in a meeting and I come out, what do you want, Derman? Get over it, man. So after we had our little encounter, I had to call him back and apologize. Derman, I'm an idiot. And I'm really, really sorry. But see, somewhere along the line, I never lost my trust. I'm not losing my joy. I'm saying, you know what? Good days and bad days come. There's dark moments. There's difficult days. But at the end of the day, he's still king of kings and lord of lords. At the end of the day, he's still my savior. And you know what? Sometimes I stumble and sometimes I'll stumble a long way. But at the end of the day, when I get back up, I trust him. I've given my life to him. Can you say amen? What does it mean to trust? Well, let me, here, let me just 
get away from that for a minute. Let me tell you, let me just tell you, trust is the basis of relationship. This is what we've got to understand. Trust is the basis of relationship. Think about my relationship with Kathy. Okay, when we started our relationship, I, I, you know, when we began dating, I, I wanted to have this relationship. I, I wanted to have an encounter. I wanted to have an experience. I wanted to be with her, right? So wanting that, I couldn't just sit there. I couldn't just do nothing and hope that she would come, hope that she would call me up, hope I had to engage so I remember at a church picnic on June 8th at about 2.30, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, in that Wallapai Mountain, park number one, I walked up to her and said, you want to go see a movie? We went and saw the Goonies. We went and had pizza beforehand at Pizza Hut. And then her dad said, I'm going to tell him myself, her dad said, you have her home to her grandma's house by midnight. Well, we were in the driveway by midnight. But I didn't leave until about three in the morning. <laughs> anyway, now I just felt a real heaviness on this side of the room. I'm not sure why. <laughs> We're married. It's, it's all th- it worked out. But the reality is, I had to be deliberate. I had to enter into relationship because the more relationship that I have with her, the deeper my trust in her became. The more I knew about her, the more I experienced, the more encounter, the more connection, the deeper the relationship, the deeper the trust. Trust is at the heart of relationship. The problem with a lot of Christians today, the reason they can't trust God is because they basically don't have a relationship. They have a lot of information. They know about him. They have a lot of theology, but they don't know him. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so when the hard time comes, they don't know how to manage the hard time because they have no experience with him in the hard time. Are you hearing me? I'll bet you the next time the disciples got in the boat, it was a little bit different. It's like, hey, he he could stop the storm. We don't got to worry about it. It probably took a couple, three, four times. Usually it does. But somewhere they learned They grew in relationship. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Let me tell you something about relationship. Relationship is never by accident. You will not be walking along one day and trip over your relationship with God. And go, whoa, I'm in relationship. What we have to do is engage. We have to be intentional. We have to go after and experience with God. You say, what are you saying? I'm not talking about all the doodads and the, you know, the goosebumps and the feel goods and all of that. I'm talking about a genuine encounter with a living, loving God that we would know his love, that we would encounter the love of a God that loves us without strings attached. I'm talking about the fact that we stop being observers. The problem with the church, church, is all we do is come and watch church happen. I didn't forget where I was at. It's easy to come in and watch. Uh 
What are you doing? Having church. No, no, you're not having church. You're watching church. We have to get in the game. We have to. That's why, see, the Bible says lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I'm telling you, church, I know, I know, I, I know there's a lot of people here with a lot of different belief systems, but let me say this. There's something freeing about lifting your hands to a living God. I don't know, what, I don't know why. It just says he said it. The Bible says this, that worship, praise and worship is the fruit of our lips. There's something about saying out loud, God, I love you. Jesus, I love you. I praise you. There's a spirit dynamic. I don't understand it. So what we have to do is we have to be intentional. We have to engage. We have to go after it. You say, is it, is it that God is reluctant? No, he's not. Not even a little bit. He's coming after you. He's pursuing you. He wants you to pursue him. He said, how do I pursue well, somewhere what we have to do is we have to engage. In, you know, some of it's basic, but it's like the word of God. And I know sometimes that can be difficult. A lot of people come to me throughout the years and they've said, man, I just can't connect with the word. I don't get it. Well, church, I, I, I don't either. Sometimes it's difficult. You say, well, what do you got to do? My problem is I get <clears throat> so distracted. So what I have to do is I have to read the Bible out loud. So what are you doing? I'm engaging another sense. What I'm doing is I'm engaging. I'm reading out loud. My ears are hearing. See, I believe the Bible's literal. It says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And I believe when it comes out of my mouth, I hear the word. And it produces a faith that rises up. There's some spiritual dynamic that I do not understand the mechanics of. But it happens. And I read the word out loud. Well, sometimes I have to write it. Sometimes I'll write it down in prayer. Sometimes I can't stay on lock in prayer. I get too many bunny trails going and, and, I try, and I talk myself out of stuff. So what I do is I write. As I'm praying, I'm speaking and writing what I'm speaking. So what are you doing? I'm staying engaged. I'm overcoming the distraction. I'm, I'm pushing through. I'm doing what I can do. And in that, then I'll hear stuff that I know. I didn't think that. It was dropped into me. And so I'll skip a line and I'll go, God said. And I'll, I'll, it's, so there's this little conversation on paper. And then generally, unless it's really significant, but generally it's just in the moment. I'll get rid of it. I don't keep it for everybody to see. But the reality is I've engaged in that moment. See, I had to be deliberate with Kathy. I had to pursue her. And even now, I still have to be deliberate. After 34 years of marriage, or 33, going on 34 years of marriage and relationship, and we've got a really good relationship, but that's because we both pursue. Yes. We engage. See, I don't, I, don't, I don't think she's a mind reader. I don't sit back and, and get mad because she's not reading my mind. I tell her, and she tells me. That's the same with God. It's any relationship we're engaging. So church, what we want, what I want from you, because what this is going to do is as you build that relationship and go deeper in him, that ability to trust at a deeper and deeper level becomes stronger and stronger. And when the difficulties of life come, they become nothing. I close today with a story. This is out of my own life. Several years ago, I forget how long ago now it was. It could be as far back as 10 years, but it was a while back. 
my wife and I and family had gone back to Michigan uh, where I was born and grew up. And, and uh, we went back. We were in the town where I had gotten saved. It was a little town, little town of about 900 people, 1,000 people called Merrill, Michigan. Little ways out of Saginaw, Michigan. And I had gone, my parents and I had gone to a church called Merrill Wesleyan Church, and that's where I got saved. And I went to Sunday school there and all of that. And so I had heard and found out that my Sunday school teacher was still alive. She was, I think, I think she was in her 90s, about 95 years old. And so I decided that I was going to go see her because I thought, man, what a tremendous blessing that would be for her to hear about the fact that I became a pastor and, and, and you know, been in the ministry ordained and all of that. And, and I thought, you know, tell her that I had, you know, been on the mission field and been overseas and all this stuff. My intention was to go and talk about me, my favorite subject. Well, I went to her house and sat down and she welcomed me and she remembered me and, and uh, we talked for just a moment. But one of the first things she said, and you have to kind of know the backstory, her husband had just passed away. I think they had been married 60, 60 plus years. He had just passed away. One of her children, I think, had been just diagnosed with cancer or something. I'm not sure. She was losing, her farm was in foreclosure. And she's probably going to be kicked out of the home she'd lived in all her life with her husband. And now is going to probably have to go to a nursing home. And as we sat down, I said to her, I said, how are you? How are you really? You know what she said? She goes, she, this is the way she put it. She didn't say, I'm fine, I'm doing good. She said, oh, Jesus has been so good to me. I went, what? And I'm sitting there in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, your husband just passed and you're losing the farm and kids aren't doing good and on and on. And there was a couple other minor things that were happening. And as the conversation, we talked for probably about 45 minutes to an hour. During that whole conversation, she kept saying that phrase, oh, Jesus has been so good to me. My Jesus, my Jesus has been so good to me. And I remember sitting there and thinking about her, and I remember thinking this. When I grow up, I want to be like her. Because, you know, the truth is, is she was not ever famous. She had no fanfare that I know of. I think she taught for like 40 years Sunday school to little kids. And I'm talking about the kind of really cool Sunday school where they still did flannel graph. That kind of Sunday school. And she loved Jesus. She sang the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And she believed that with all of her heart. Everything within her. She didn't have a deep theological resume. Far as I know, that she didn't travel much beyond that small little community. I don't know if she'd ever been overseas. And even towards the end of her life, as things are beginning to wind up, where most of us would be in complete crisis, she was saying, Jesus has been so good to me. Because she trusted him. Guy knew she was a person, she was one of these women that she got up early in the morning, read her Bible, and she had coffee with Jesus and talked to him. And, you know, whatever that looks like, don't make that weird. 
she had a cup of coffee and prayed, I think. I'm not sure what kind of coffee Jesus likes. But decaf. decaf, that's probably true. But the point is, is that sometimes we make it about all of these things. But really, at the end of the day, what God really wants from us is just a relationship. You know, there's a verse of scripture that hangs on, in, on my wall, office wall that I have to remind myself. And this is such the epitome of where I'm at and where I think a lot of others are. And the scripture's out of Psalms. And it says this, except the Lord build the house, they that labor, labor in vain. Except the watchman watch the city, they watch in vain. It says it's, va it's vanity for you to wake up early and to go to bed late and eat the bread of sorrow. It says, for I give my beloved sleep. And the actual phrase in that is, I, get, I give to my beloved even while they sleep. <laughs> it's, it's a whole study in itself. Bottom line is, is I have to remind myself to trust him because sometimes what I want to do is I just want to take over. I want to take over, but I have found out when I take over, it's like me trying to push a boulder uphill. I can't get it done. And if I'll just trust him, sometimes I have to get in the driver's seat. Sometimes I have to get in the trunk because I won't shut up. But I have to let him drive. But the only way that I can have that kind of trust is if I'll engage, if I'll go after it. You know, sometimes it is simple as just raising your hands. Sometimes it's just reading your Bible, being consistent. Sometimes it's prayer, staying focused. But somewhere church. Sometimes it's worship. That's why, you know, today before we uh, ended our worship service, we took that time deliberately to let him move. I don't know what he's going to do. Maybe he's going to take over the service. I pray he does. One second with him is 10,000 years with me. And so what we have to do is we have to be deliberate. We have to, we have to let him and we have to know him and we have to trust him. Say, it's okay, God. You got my back. He says, not only do I have your back, I have your front and both sides. I have all of you. I'm on your side. Don't, don't go by what you feel. Go by what you know, what his word says. That's why we got to know his word. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, we just thank you so much, God, for the word that you've given us, this revelation of trusting you. Father, we pray that you would help us. I pray, God, for every person in this room today that they would <clears throat> make a decision to trust you with all their heart. Lord, that they would make a decision to go after you, to go after an encounter with the love of Jesus. To say, look, I'm not satisfied. I don't want to be right here. I don't want to wait. I'm going to press in. I'm going to press into God. I'm going to press into the word. I'm going to press into worship. I'm going to press in. I'm going to press into prayer. God, I'm going to just chase after you. I don't care what people think. I don't care what is protocol. I'm going hard after you. My soul hungers and is thirsty for you like a dry and parched land. Father, help us. I wonder as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you'd say, Pastor, I don't know that I've ever heard it like this before. 
If that's you and you say, man, I want Jesus in my life. I need Jesus to come into my life. If that's you, would you lift your hand? Amen. I see those hands. Hands, hands, lots of hands up. Amen. You can put them down. Would you do really quickly, those that raise their hand, would you just in, 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 uh, endure this just for a moment and just humor me? Would you come forward? Would you come up to the altar? Would you come up? Just stand right in front of me. We're, we're almost done, church. Just come on up. If you raised your hand, don't be bashful. Just come on up. And if somebody wants to come up with you, they can come up with you. You don't have to come alone. Just come on up. We're going to pray just for a moment. This is what it's about, church. This is about, this is lives coming to Jesus, rededicating, coming to a place where we know Jesus. This is why we're here. We should, we should probably do this at the front of the service instead of the end. Amen. Oh, it's good to see you. Praise God. Good decisions. Rededicating. Would you all do this with me? Would you pray this prayer with me? I want you up here just to pray it out loud. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sins. Be my Lord and my Savior. I believe you died for me and rose again that I could live in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now what we're going to do is I'm going to take just a moment and I'm just going to pray over you, okay? And then the people that are behind you and with you, they may speak to you just for a moment, okay? So Father, I just pray, God, for these that have come up for salvation and rededication. Father, I pray that your hand would be upon them. Father, I pray that you minister your grace right now. God, pour yourself into these lives, God. Blessing, God. Power and blessing. God, grace, God, grace right now. Lord, abundance in Jesus' name. Abundance right now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God. Touch and minister, God, right now. Thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you, God, and I give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Church, before you go, before you stand, remember, just stay up here. These are going to talk to you just up here. Remember, engage today. Take a moment, take 10 minutes, engage with God. Let's stand to our feet all across this place. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.